The text for this morning's worship service is taken from James, chapter 5, the verses 7 through 11. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 27, stanzas 1, 5, and 6. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, we live in prosperous times. The oil prices are soaring, as is the Canadian dollar. Unemployment is virtually unknown. We live in the richest province of Canada, perhaps even the richest part of the world. However, not everyone is benefiting. Those who are on fixed income have to contend with higher prices, and those who do not own their own home have to contend with soaring housing prices, prices that have doubled in the last year or so. It becomes now more difficult, if not impossible, for them to become a homeowner. And those who belong to the marginalized of society, the handicapped and the disabled, and those who have to deal with them find that they are no longer able to receive or access the services that they were able to before. In societies, in society, there are always injustices and inequities. That was also the case during the time that James wrote his letter. He mentions there the rich. That does not refer, of course, to all the rich, for the Bible does not condemn rich people. On the contrary, the Bible does not condemn a man such as Abraham or such a man as Job. The Lord, however, does condemn those who become rich because they exploit others. They take advantage of other people's position. The text of this morning is not about the rich, nor is it about the poor. However, it is about our attitude, our attitude to material things, and about our attitude towards our neighbor. How do we conduct ourselves in the midst of a world where the mighty dollar rules supreme? The Lord God counsels patience. He commands us not to be grumblers. He wants us to put everything into perspective. He tells us to wait for the Lord. Money and possessions are only temporary. But the Lord God has to offer us 
cannot even begin to be compared to the riches that we find here on earth. And so he says, be patient. And that's what I will preach to you about this morning. And so let us listen to the word of God as I've summarized under the following theme. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. We will look at the basis for patience. And secondly, the exercise of patience. And then finally, the blessings of patience. Be patient until the coming of the Lord, the basis, the exercise, and the blessings. When James tells his readers to be patient, after having berated the rich who withheld from the workers with their wages, those workers who mowed their fields and worked on their lands, he warns them that they should not conduct themselves in the way that those rich oppressors did. Christians, believers, ought not to be attached to material things. He reminds of the word which the Lord Jesus spoke, who said in the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 6, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. The treasure of a Christian, of a believer, is a heavenly one. He should not long for an earthly treasure. And that is the reason why they ought to be patient, long-suffering. They may not take things into their own hands. The basis for their patience is that the Lord God gives them heavenly blessings. And so they must wait for the Lord. How many people in our society do that? I must say, not many. Listen to the radio, read your newspapers. There you can see it's all about money, about the economy. That's what drives things. And so we see a people who want things for themselves, and they want it now. They will go on strike or blockade roads and railways just to get what they think rightfully belongs to them. And we read about that kind of thing all the time. And quite often those kinds of people who demand what they want will also get what they want. As the saying, as the saying goes, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. But let's admit it, brothers and sisters, and that includes you, boys and girls, teenagers. We are by nature not much different. By nature, we too are greedy and impatient. We look at those who have more than we do, and we want to have that as well. And the sooner the better. We are jealous of those who are more successful than we that's what we are like as, adult, as adults as well. We may not be as obvious about it as younger people, but nevertheless, we too often are impatient to receive things. A better house, a better car, all the latest gadgets, all kinds of toys. And we would like to have them because others have it as well. And we think that we have a right to them. We often buy all kinds of things even before we actually have the money for them. After all, isn't that what credit cards are for? James says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. And you may say, well, that little comfort to someone who 
has very little. Or little comfort to those who are oppressed or to those who are poor, who are struggling every week to make ends meet, who do not long for those kinds of luxuries, who just want to put bread on the table. And that's also little comfort for those who are dealing with serious illness, with broken bones, and who are looking to get better. He or she may ask, do I have to wait until the coming of the Lord? Do I have to wait until the last day? Will there be no end to my suffering? For if that is the case, then we might just as well forget about enjoying this life and about being vindicated against our oppressors and about the Lord lifting the burdens off from our shoulders. Then our life is nothing more than being condemned to a life of constant struggle in misery and want. Then we do not have to expect that in this life we will ever be able to improve our lot. Look at those Christians to whom James wrote. They never saw the second coming of the Lord. They died before the Lord returned. And here we are some 2,000 years later and it is not very different for us. We too have to wait for the coming of the Lord. But as far as we know, that may be another 2,000 years yet, at least long after we ourselves have died a natural death. Oh yes, the Lord could come also today or tomorrow, but we don't know when he is coming. But what does James mean when he speaks about the fact that we have to wait until the last day before we actually meet the Lord? There is no doubt that he is speaking here about the second coming of Christ. He is speaking here about the last day, about the end of the age. But when we think about the coming of the Lord, do we then have to think only of the last day? Well, I think not, brothers and sisters. Consider what the Lord said just before his ascension. He said, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew 28, verse 20. And these were the last words of the Lord Jesus that Matthew recorded. And that is the way it is today. The Lord is with you to the end of the age. He is with you today. And that is also the way it has been throughout history, throughout the history of redemption. The Lord is never far away from his people. Think about it. How often did the people of Israel not send up their cries to the Lord their God? And how often did he not answer them? Think about the time that they went out from the land of Egypt. It appeared that the Egyptians had them completely boxed in at the Red Sea, that they were theirs for the taking. And then they cried out to the Lord to deliver them. And deliver them he did. He opened up the Red Sea and he led them through it. But when the Egyptians followed on their heels through the Red Sea, they were drowned. The Lord delivered them from their enemies. He was with them. The Lord came. And he continued to do so during all the time after they had entered into the promised land as well. Into the land of Canaan. For how often did the Lord God not deliver them from their enemies round about when they cried out to him in anguish? The Lord has been with his people throughout the ages. 
They did not have to wait until all the other promises had been fulfilled in order to experience his benefits. They did not have to wait for the coming of the Messiah in the flesh in order to know that the Lord was with them. No, they had more than the promise of a Savior. God showed them his faithfulness, his faithfulness to his covenant promises during their entire existence as a nation. And they were comforted by his presence time and again. You may say, however, well, that was during the time of the Bible. It's a long time ago. We do not see such obvious manifestations of the Lord's power any longer. But let me remind you that, as it says in Hebrews 13, verse 8, that the Lord is the same yesterday and today and forever. Brothers and sisters, the Lord God has always delivered his people from distress. The Lord's power and might is not any less now than it was then. And he also appeared to his people in many different ways. And he comes to your need when, he comes to our aid when you need him. He comes to us when we are in distress, when we are broken hearted, when we are sick and we do not know a way out anymore. For then we can get down on our knees and pray to him and remind him of his covenant promises, those covenant promises that he made to the believers in the Old Testament and that he showed to them. For he promised them that he would deliver his people from distress. And that promise is also for you and for me. And so it is not necessary to think only of the coming of the Lord at the end of days. No, the Lord delivers us time and again. If that were not so, we would not be able to exist and persevere in our spiritual warfare. But the Lord does not always answer our prayers in the way that we would always like. That is because we ourselves are so tied to this earthly existence. We do not always understand the wisdom of his inscrutable ways. We do not always understand the way that the Lord God treats us. It may be, for example, that we have to keep on struggling for some time in order to make ends meet. It may be that we have to continue to struggle with our health. It may also be that when we are oppressed by unrighteous employers, that we do not always get that which we know is our due, and that we are cheated out of our wages. And there is no doubt that all those kinds of things are hard to take, But the Lord God knows our circumstances, and he says, wait, wait for the Lord. In other words, let him show you the way. Listen to his commands. Don't don't take things into your own hands. The Lord God is not indifferent to us and our plight. He promises that whatever comes our way, he will turn it to our good. And so we as Christians are so much more blessed than the people around us. Actually, there is no comparison. For you may have peace of mind. You may know that nothing can separate you from the love of God. And now we see what a great God we have. We have a God full of compassion. As we could sing a moment ago, rest in the Lord with patient expectation. The Lord does not put us to shame when we patiently wait for him. And so we come to the second point of this sermon, namely the exercise of patience. James gives us some examples 
of how we must conduct ourselves as we patiently wait for the Lord. He gives us, first of all, the example of a farmer who patiently waits for his crop to mature. He reminds us of the fact that a farmer does not dig up the soil every day in order to see how the seeds are doing which he put in the soil. No, he waits until the crop matures. He patiently waits for the day of harvest. In the meantime, he knows that the crop needs moisture in order to grow. In Palestine, the rain falls in the late autumn and in spring. Oh, sure, one year would bring more than another. But the farmer would always count on it that the rain would come. And so he waited. He waited patiently, anticipating the crop that he would harvest. He has that one goal in mind. In the meantime, he enjoys the prospect and the wealth that he has now. But for a Christian, such waiting is even better. You see, we can enjoy the presence of the Lord God now already. As I said, he comforts us when we are in distress. We experience his presence when everything seems hopeless. And then we feel the hand of the Father to carry us through difficult times. It's true that at times we give in to the urge to take things into our own hands. But if we resisted that temptation, or if we got ourselves back on the right track, and once again wait for the Lord to help us, to give us wisdom and insight, then we are thankful that we didn't do so, that we obeyed his command to be patient. And so the life of a Christian is so much richer than the life of an unbeliever. An unbeliever cannot wait for things. And so they demand and cheat and cannot imagine the direct success unless they have something earthly to show for their efforts. For they have only this life to live for. They do not know God and they do not know God's patience either. For beloved, there is one thing that you must keep in mind. Namely, that the Lord God himself is a patient God. He is patient in ways that we cannot even begin to grasp. Psalm 103 verse 8 tells us, for example, that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. The Lord sees that we are sinful human beings and that time and again we fall into sin. He knows how much we crave material things, earthly things. And how easily we become jealous of others. But he is patient with you and with me. And he waits for our repentance. He guides us and he rebukes us. And he gets us back on track. That's what he wants to do this morning as well. He wants you to be on the right track. To think about what is really important. Our relationship with God. The God who gives you riches. Riches that you cannot even begin to imagine and of which we now already have a foretaste. And sometimes the Lord God then comes with to us with a firm hand, and sometimes with gentleness. Isn't that wonderful? That is the kind of God we have. But we also have to be patient with others. For that reason, James has something else to tell us as well. He says in verse 9, Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. And so he says, don't be jealous of each other. 
Don't be jealous of the person who has a successful business or a lot of money. It's only money. Other things in life are so much more important. Pray for your daily bread. And rebuke those who are greedy for money. And in so doing, you must also be patient with each other. As the Lord God says in his commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Next Sunday, the Lord willing, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And this afternoon, we will have a sermon dealing with the preparation for the Lord's Supper within the context of church discipline. An important part of the communion of saints is that you love each other. Do you know what that means? It means that we must love our brother and sister in the Lord in the same way as the Lord God loves us. That means that we are concerned about each other's salvation. And so we are patient with each other. Also when we see that another person is driven by the pursuit of material things. When we see someone who is angry or bitter or disappointed because he is not getting the part of the economic pie that he or she thinks he or she is entitled to, then you admonish such a person. And then you remind such a person of where their riches are. You remind them of the blessings of the Lord. And you do that because you are deeply concerned about your brother or sister, and therefore you will want to speak to him or her in such a way that is least offensive to them, so that you can win your neighbor. That's quite the opposite of grumbling against each other and of gossiping about each other or of pointing fingers. Look at the way the prophets of old dealt with the sin around them. James mentions the prophets as an example. And so let's look at some of the prophets. Let's look at Nathan. He was a patient man. He was also a wise man. He knew about the sin of David against Bathsheba. But it was some time before he confronted David with it. He let David struggle with his own conscience first. For David had a hard time of it. He was absolutely miserable. As Psalm 31 shows in Psalm 52 as well, his sin was ever before him and it weighed him down. But only once the time was ripe did Nathan confront David with his sin. But he did not approach him directly. No, he came to him with a parable. And through that parable he had David condemn himself. And then David had no choice but to confess, which he did with all his heart. And in this way, that patient Nathan won his brother for the Lord. And that's how the prophet dealt with a brother in faith, patiently and with understanding. But the prophets dealt differently with those who had been warned time and again and who turned their backs to the Lord. Those who did not want to listen, they utterly condemned them with no uncertain words. Think about Jeremiah. He faithfully proclaimed the words of the Lord, but for so doing he was persecuted, put in prison, and treated as less than an animal. Think about all those saints that we read about in, in Hebrews 11. How they were mistreated for their faith, and how they were patiently waited for the Lord. Jeremiah was also patient in his suffering. He did not turn away from doing the right thing. He persevered. 
and such is also the life of a believer. He does not let the devil make him stray from the course that he has set. For he knows that the Lord is much more powerful. And that brings us to our final point, namely the blessings of patience. The final words of the text reads, As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. James refers us to the example of Job. Job had much. He was a very rich man. But then the Lord God took it all away. He took away his property, his children, and finally his health. And all that was left for him to do is to sit on an ash heap. And then, as if that was not enough, his friends came along and they accused him, saying that it was his own fault. And then his wife comes along and she tells him to curse God and to die. And indeed, Job does feel sorry for himself somewhat, and he grumbles at times. But there is one thing that he does not do. He remains steadfast in his steadfast in his faith. And in the end, the Lord God also restores his fortune. He receives double of what he had. And so we also see with the other examples in the Scriptures. Think about all those sinful people we read about in Hebrews 11. Abraham, for example. The Scriptures tell us that he remained a stranger and exile on the earth. He did not look for an earthly kingdom, but he looked for a heavenly one. Abraham knew that his stay on earth was only temporary. Is that what you're looking for too? Brothers and sisters, the heavenly kingdom. It is with that insight that Abraham and all the others could withstand the tests that came their way. Oh yes, sometimes these brothers in the faith faltered. They sometimes lost sight of their goal. But then the Lord God drew them back. And then they withstood the test again. And during their life on earth, they had peace. Peace with God and peace with themselves and peace with their fellow man. That's the life of a Christian. As Reformed believers, that is, biblical believers, the doctrine concerning the perseverance of saints is very important to us. We have a whole chapter in the Canons of Dort dealing with the perseverance of the saints. We find the same thing back here in the book of James. As a matter of fact, that is where we derive our confessions from, from the scriptures, as you know. When we speak about the perseverance of the saints, we do so because we know that those who trust in the Lord will never be disappointed. God will deliver his people from all evil. Evil is still around us now. This world is in the grip of Satan. It is in the grip of materialism. But God promises that those who belong to him, that they will be delivered from it all. And do you know why I can say that with certainty? Well, because I know, as it says in verse 11, that the Lord God is full of compassion and mercy. That, beloved, is the basis of our perseverance. And from that we also receive our blessings. Job's perseverance paid off. And the Lord God blessed him. He received double what he had before. 
But in the end, Job also died. Death was also his enemy. And Job had much more than what he had here on earth. For what was left for him at the end of his life? Materially, nothing. Spiritually, everything. He received wonderful heavenly blessings. He received his eternal inheritance. He could be with his Lord and Savior. In the midst of his trouble, he confessed that his Redeemer would live. Beloved congregation, that is the gospel of salvation. That is the good news for us this morning. Why is there suffering here on earth? Books and books and books have been written about this. And many, many philosophies center around that. But what does the Bible say? Why are there injustices and inequities? It's simple. It's because of sin. And sin, beloved, has to be punished. God cannot leave this world in its sin. And so there is suffering. But whom does God punish? Does he punish you and me? No, he punished his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. The effects of sin that we feel around us now are there only to lead us to Christ, to that Savior, to the one who conquered death and sin. God gives that to us so that we may long to be with him, to be with Christ our Savior. As James said in the beginning of his letter, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Amen.